This podcast is sponsored by Position Green. To be an insider, you can subscribe to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star rating. Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, host Mike Niemer will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer. Welcome back to another edition of the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I'm your host, Ron Culver, and with me, as always, is Mike Niemer, CEO of eRenewable. Today, Mike is joined by the CEO of Your Energy, John Cash. But before we dive into their conversation, we cannot kick off the show without hearing from Mike's lovely better half, eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. Position Green helps companies build resilient and sustainable organizations. Position Green has a unique combination of ESG software, advisory, e-learning, and assurance that drives sustainability success and empowers positive change. Visit positiongreen.com to learn more. Thanks, Ann. Now here's Mike with the CEO of Your Energy, John Cash. Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, Power Bay Renewable. My name is Mike Niemer, host of the show today, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Mr. John Cash, CEO of Your Energy. Your, Your Energy is a uranium mining company, and John, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's great to be on. Well, you know, you're episode 214. And in the first 213 episodes, we didn't have anybody talk about uranium. So I'm excited to, to hear about uh, not only your company, but uranium mining in general. So before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of the education today for the listeners on uranium mining, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to become CEO of your mining. Yeah, sure. Glad to do that, Mike. Uh, I'm a geologist by training. I went to the University of Missouri at Rolla, uh, now the Missouri School of Science and Technology. Uh, really proud to have gone to school there. It's one of the top uh, engineering and mining schools uh, globally. So it was close to home. It made sense to go to school there. But I uh, got my bachelor's and master's in geology, geophysics, and I really wanted to go into exploration geology. And I did for a number of years, worked for some of the majors like BHP and Rio Tinto. Uh, but not too long into my career, I had an opportunity to come to Wyoming, which is where I'm at today, and uh, work for a uranium mining company called Rio Algum. So I did that for a little while, did exploration. It wasn't too long. They moved me into regulatory affairs. The company got bought out. I got moved to one of the other new mines and uh, ran the operation in Nebraska. And uh, for the last 17 years, I've worked for UR Energy doing regulatory affairs uh, became VP of regulatory, and then about a year and a half ago, became the CEO uh, of the company. So it's been a quite a ride. Uh, I've been in uranium my entire career. So hopefully that's a good thing. I, I think it's worked out really well. But uh, that's how I went from from uh, being a geologist uh, to becoming a CEO. Well, how about that? We're both uh, mid-continent boys. Uh, I'm a Kansas Jayhawk. Uh, I was raised right outside of Wichita, Kansas. So in your neighboring state, Missouri. So um this, this should be fun. Well, you know, uranium's not a common word that we hear when we think of the word energy, okay? No one's going around saying, I got my energy from uranium or anything like that. Why don't you tell us where the word energy and uranium, how those two words play together so well and how uranium is used for energy? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're spot on. Uh, not many people realize that here in the U.S., uh, you, nuclear power, which burns uranium exclusively here in the U.S., is a major source of electricity. And so we uh, try to go out and educate people on that, make them aware of that. But right now we have about 93 operating nuclear power plants in the U.S. Most recently, a company called Southern Company uh, started a reactor down in Georgia, and they've got another one coming online in the spring. So the industry is actually growing in the U.S. Globally, there are about 436 reactors up and running uh, that provides about 10% of the electricity globally. Here in the U.S., we get about 20% of our electricity from nuclear power, and that represents about 50% of our carbon-free electricity is from nuclear. So it is a major supplier of electricity. It's a major supplier of carbon-free electric here in the U.S., and it is a growing industry. So we're excited to be a part of that uh, going forward. Well, you know, that plant in Georgia, uh, earlier this summer, I had one of the Georgia State Energy Commissioners on, Tim Eccles, uh, because of uh, Vogel coming online with that new uh, unit that they have. I'd had Tim on, Tim on a couple of years ago talking about their nuclear. But through all those conversations, the word uranium never came up. So this is very exciting to to have a, something else to for the listeners and myself to learn about. So um, tell us about your company and how many mines do you guys actually operate and how many mines are there actually in the U.S. versus other parts of the world? Sure, yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons why people don't hear much about nuclear and uranium is because it's such a small industry. Uh, uranium is, has so much energy density into it, the inside of it, that it doesn't take many mines. It doesn't take many power plants to generate a tremendous amount of power. So we are a small industry, although we do provide so much electricity. But my company, UR Energy, we are a publicly traded company. Uh, we came into existence in 2004. We have two flagship properties. Uh, one of them is actively mining uranium. And that is our Lost Creek project in Wyoming. Uh, our second project, we have not built it out yet, but that's Shirley Basin. It's also in Wyoming. So those are our two projects, uh, one producing, one to be producing in the future. At Lost Creek, we've already produced about 3 million pounds of U308. U308 is the chemical formula for yellow cake, which is the product that we make. And we've been ramping production back up at that facility since the spring of this year. Uh, so right now we've got two new production areas online, looking to bring a third one online here within the next week or two uh, to continue to ramp up production to sell to uh, U.S. and European utilities, who are major customers uh, for us, uh, for our company. So our second flagship, Shirley Basin, uh, we've not made the decision to build it out and ramp up production there yet. But as we sign more offtake agreements with utilities, I believe we're moving in that direction where we'll uh, build it out. Uh, Mike, you know, one of the things that's really unique about uranium mining here in the U.S. is a number of the mines are in situ mines. And in situ is a Latin word. It means in the place. So when we go out and we mine, we don't actually dig up the ground. We don't have underground adits or open pits. Instead, we install water wells into the ore zone and we pump in water, CO2, and oxygen. And that dissolves the uranium and we simply pump it back up to the surface to recover it. So what that means is our cost of recovery is very low on a global uh, setting. 
the environmental impact is very, very small because we're not really disturbing the ground and the rock. And when we get done mining, within a few years, you can't even tell we were there. The ground will be completely 100% returned back to its uh, native condition. So that's the way most uranium is recovered globally now and here in the U.S. Well, you know, everybody, excuse me, when most people think of nuclear plants, they get scared. They think of the places they've heard of. How long ago was it? 40 years ago that there's, you know, Chernobyl or whatever, wherever that they right. had meltdowns that had problems, right? But those plants last so long and they produce so much clean power. I feel like they've got a bad rap. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. They've gotten a bad rap. You know, it's a bit like airlines. A lot of people are afraid to fly because when an airliner goes down, it's disastrous. It makes the news and it's truly a, a terrible event. But when you look at the, the numbers, flying is actually the safest way to get around the world. Nuclear is very similar to that. I think there is a mentality where when things go wrong, i.e. Chernobyl specifically, they can go very wrong. Uh, but those incidences are incredibly rare. And if you look at the, the death rate for an accident there, they're actually very small. For example, Fukushima, there were no fatalities uh, due to radiation exposure. But a lot of people don't recognize that. They just see that as a horrific event and therefore they're, they're afraid of it. Um, and so we need to do a better job of educating people to say, hey, the risk of nuclear power is actually less than anything else, including wind and solar. If you look at the incident rates for nuclear on a global basis, we have an incredibly good safety record. And when it comes to emissions into the atmosphere, the emissions from nuclear power, uh, the CO2 emissions are almost non-existent. They're very low. In fact, we're better in many cases than wind and solar. Uh, so if you want to look at the risk to humanity from emissions, nuclear power is right there with wind and solar, right in par with them. So we have to look at it holistically, and we've got to do a better job of educating the public about their nuclear power plants here in the U.S., how safe they've been. They've got an incredibly good record. Well, let's talk about the nuclear power plants in the U.S. and uh, what... Well, before we get to that, let's actually go back to what you said about uh, this. Your the uranium world needs to do a better job marketing about themselves and how safe everything is. Do you all have associations that go out and are trying to do that, or they go out, but because it's such a small niche market, the 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 message doesn't get here uh, heard as loud and clear as it should. Yeah, we've got a couple of really good, strong uh, trade organizations. NEI is one of them uh, located in Washington, D.C. That's the Nuclear Energy Institute. And they put out a lot of good information about nuclear power, its safety, its cost, its efficacy. Uh, another one that's more global in nature is the World Nuclear Association. Uh, they have an incredible website that's just loaded with all kinds of good information. But, you know, we've got a couple of great messengers there that try to get out uh, the story of nuclear, but it's hard to do that. We are a small industry, uh, despite uh, providing so much energy, and uh, sometimes people don't want to listen. And uh, so when an industry comes in and tells a story, people say, oh, no, you're from industry. I don't know if I believe you or not. So we need to work our way through that. That it's a, It can be very difficult. And I think the NEI and the WNA do a great job, but we've certainly got a long ways to go. Well, 
With regards to the United States, uh, do you know off the top of your head how many nuclear plants are actually active in the United States providing clean power? We have 93 up and running today. 93. And uh, Vogel in Georgia was the last one that was built, the most current one. When was the one after? When was the one built before that? I believe it was about 30 years prior to that. 30 long years. Time. Yeah. A very long time. And so do you, uh, now that Vogel came online and people are really focused on helping making the climate better, you know, trying to get to net zero or real zero, some people like to try to claim, do you hear more talk from other utilities across the United States about them putting in a nuclear plant? What kind of discussions are going on behind the scenes? Absolutely. You know, it's been uh, probably about three or four years ago where I think the tables really began to turn. You know, we've been touting the carbon-free attributes of nuclear for decades. But yeah, it's been a few years ago where I think people really began to sit up and pay attention. I think reality is setting in that while wind and solar are fantastic and they certainly have their place, we need some base load to back them. And that's where nuclear power really comes in as reliable base load, uh, you know, with reliance of about 92, 93% uh, run rate. And uh, so utilities begin to talk about that more, talk about building out large scale conventional nuclear reactors, but also the small modular reactors. There's a lot of discussion right now ongoing uh, with companies like Terra Power, which is owned by Bill Gates and also has involvement by Pacific Power. Um, so a lot of tremendous backers there looking to build small modular reactors. But yeah, it took a long time to, to change the conversation here in the US, but I believe that's happened. And a lot of the major nuclear companies now are looking at and considering building out additional conventional and looking at those small modulars going forward. So the NEI did a survey not so long ago, it's been about a year ago, uh, of their members, which constitutes some of the largest nuclear utilities in the U.S. And they determined that by 2050, we could have as many as 300 additional small modular reactors here in the U.S. In addition to that, we could have a number of additional large uh, conventional reactors. And when I say conventional reactors, I mean the uh, 1,000 megawatt reactors, 1,100, 1,200 megawatt reactors here in the U.S. as we move more and more into green energy. So, yeah, it's it's a growing industry. We've seen tremendous support from Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, the Republicans and Democrats don't agree on anything except for nuclear power. And so we've got some really strong allies across the political spectrum and in the White House that are advancing nuclear power. So it's an exciting time for our industry. Well, that kind of surprises me that you're getting the Republicans on board with it also when they're not really on board with the wind and solar. Uh, is there a story behind? Yeah, yeah absolutely. What, what's the story? So when we talk about nuclear power, uh, we have to talk about electric generation, but it also has implications for national security. And so while the Democrats may focus more on the clean energy aspects, Many Republicans also focus on clean energy, but there's also that nuclear security or uh, national security implication that's there as well. Right now, we are still getting a significant quantity of our uranium in the U.S. from Russia. And so the Republican Party in particular is saying, no, 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 enough of that. 
we need to move toward domestic production and refinement of uranium here in the U.S. and away from Russia. Beyond that, although it's not a part of my company's story, we have sold exclusively uh, to utilities and for energy generation, there is another component, which is nuclear navy and nuclear weapons. It's not the side of the story that we want to necessarily be a part of, but it is a critical part of national security. And Republicans are saying, look, we don't have a, an industry here in the U.S. anymore, especially with regard to processing uh, for nuclear navy in particular. And we've got to build that out. We've got to build out our domestic supply chain uh, going forward. So both sides of the aisle are involved. Tremendous support. Senator Barrasso is from Wyoming. He's one of our big allies. Uh, Senator Manchin uh, from West Virginia is a tremendous ally. So both sides of the aisle are supporting us. You know, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which was passed some months ago, it had significant provisions in it to support a nuclear generation because of its carbon-free attributes. So when the nuclear power plants, the existing plants, had access to those funds, many of them had been slated for shutdown over the next five to 15 years. But now 100% of those are saying, we're going to stay online. We're going to get our extensions of our licenses for another 20 years of life. Uh, we're going to do power up rates and do everything we can to generate more carbon-free electricity. So that was passed in a bipartisan manner, and that has really advanced the nuclear industry from uh, where it was. So now things are looking very bright uh, in our industry. Well, that's very exciting to hear. So I know when uh, Vogel came online, there's some news articles that came out and a little bit of ruckus that uh, – the people in that area were going to have a little bit higher utility bills for in the beginning to help fund it. Is what they did in Georgia the model you see other new builds taking? Or now with the Inflation Reduction Act, like it is, the consumer is going to have less burden to bear. Yeah. So one of the things we've got to do better in the nuclear industry is get down our cost of capital for building out plants. Uh, a couple of reasons why they are so expensive. One is regulatory oversight. Um, and I'm not complaining about regulatory oversight. It's critical to our industry. It's critical to all industries. But we've got to do a better job of being more efficient. The other part of the problem here relates to that. But it's we simply have not built out a large-scale nuclear power plant literally for decades. So the first one is going to be expensive. We've got lessons that we need to relearn. We've got to build out that skill set to drive down the cost going forward, not just from the engineering design and construction, but also from the regulatory side. So we've got room for improvement there. And I think we will dramatically reduce the cost, the capital cost of construction going forward. But one of the great things about nuclear power is once you get that capital paid for, the operating costs going forward are incredibly low. It'll compete with virtually anything, including oil and gas and definitely can compete with wind and solar and beat them. So we've got to get past that uh, that initial capital, get into that long-term steady operating cost where we can drive down the uh, price of electricity. So I've got great faith that we can do that going forward. A lot of brilliant people in the industry, uh, but we've got room for improvement. Yeah, so the one thing that nuclear really has going for it is the longevity of a plant. Yeah. Your plants 60, 70, 80, 90 years long sometimes, right? And so uh, there's no doubt that the return on capital will be there. 
It's just that upfront money that's going to make people take pause. But for the greater good, it's probably well paid, well deserved, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we have to do. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And when you divide those costs out over, like you said, 60, 70, even 80 years now is what we're looking at for the lifetime of plants. That cost of electricity gets very cheap and it's carbon free. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, just because of the fact that both sides of the aisle in Washington like it, that should open some eyes. So, Let's let's hope that uh, going forward here they can't agree on much, but uh, maybe this is a topic that they can agree on. And uh, and the, the, what I want to know is to build those plants and operate those plants. Does that take a different skilled worker to be able to to build them and manage them, or is that a whole different group of people that we have to educate on how to handle a nuclear plant, or is that? something that translates from somebody working in a natural gas plant that's easy enough to switch over. Yeah, so the front end of the plant, the nuclear side of the plant, that's a unique skill set. We need more nuclear engineers in the U.S. Those STEM programs uh, in our schools and going into universities are critical. Uh, I'm sure, Mike, that you've been hearing that uh, there's a labor shortage throughout the U.S. We certainly are seeing that in the mining sector. I'm hearing from our utility customers that that also is happening in the front end of the nuclear cycle where they need more engineers uh, for these processing plants going forward. But when you get to the backside of the plant, you know, after the steam, the steam generation, the turbines there, that is no different than a coal-fired power plant or a gas-powered plant. So uh, a lot of those people can continue to work at that back end of the plant that have been there for, for years with other types of uh, facilities. But we've got to grow out the front end. We've got to grow out not only the education, but the experience. These are very large construction projects that take some fairly unique skills to manage it. There's so much going on, a uh, number of years to build out. And so it takes immense levels of logistics and organization. And we're not there yet. We, we need the people to be able to get there. Well, I was glad you mentioned the STEM program. I have two young elementary age grandchildren that attend a STEM program. So uh, I've seen some of the stuff they've done in their early years and it did, they do a great job. I mean, yeah. it is, we're very pleased that they're in those programs and, uh, and they seem to really enjoy it. And hopefully that generation becomes in 20 years, what we're looking for in that marketplace for those kind of skilled uh young people to be able to take over that market. Yeah, no, that's right, Mike. And, you know, we don't use nuclear engineers at the mines. We use a lot of geologists, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, petroleum engineers, because the petroleum technology is very similar to what we use in in situ. But when it comes to nuclear, one job that we do hire a lot of employees for is for radiation safety. And so Every entity in the United States that deals with radiation, for example, your dentist office with x-rays, medical offices, industrial x-ray, nuclear power plants, mines, uh, road construction with density gauges, all of those depend on radiation, and they are required by law to have a position called a radiation safety officer. So for your listeners, if they've got kids that enjoy math and science, and they're looking for something uh, to get into where they can enjoy those uh, different sciences, check out radiation safety. 
There are a number of universities throughout the uh, U.S. They have really good programs. Uh, CSU in Colorado is a prime example. Really good paying jobs. And uh, you can work in a hospital, a mine, an industrial setting. So great diversity. But that's certainly one of the positions that we are always looking for people uh, to bring in and uh, to make sure we keep our workers safe. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure today talking to you about uranium, what's going on in the nuclear world, and what's going on uh, in our future world when we think about building out more nuclear plants and the uh, the job market, that's opportunities that are going to come up for young people as they as they benefit, grow through the STEM program that they're all in. All ages are in them at this point. Um, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show. I'm so glad I had uh, got an opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on The Green Insider. Hey, Mike, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been absolute my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Cash with UR Energy, the CEO of the Uranium Mining Company. And you heard it here on The Green Insider, how uranium and nuclear mines can help us be a greener planet. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again to John Cash, CEO of Your Energy, for being a part of the Green Insider Podcast. And thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Ron Culver, reminding you that if you're not yet a subscriber to the Green Insider Podcast, what are you waiting for? Become one today from wherever you receive your podcasts. And please leave us a five-star rating. This podcast was sponsored by Position Green. For an introduction to our sponsor or find out how you too could be a sponsor, refer to our show notes to contact eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast.